Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co-hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co-owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Today we're going to talk about life insurance with our special guest, Rod Crandall. He is an insurance expert, and we're going to go through some questions that pop up from time to time in the meetings that Clint and I have with our clients. That's why we had to bring in a guest host, because you know what? No one wants to talk about life insurance, and only Rod Crandall can make it good. We're going to make it exciting as best we can, so we'll see what happens here. But uh, it's going to be uh, hopefully informative and uh, lighthearted so that we can get people the information that they've been asking us. Uh, Rod, why don't you give a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate that. Yeah, the last 17 years, I've been working exclusively in uh, life insurance, long-term care, and disability insurance, primarily supporting wealth advisors like these two gentlemen here, and uh, really happy to be here. Thank you. So one question that we get uh, quite a bit is uh, whether it be uh, young people, whether it be uh, people that aren't quite as young, like Clint and I, uh, how Come do on I now? <laughs> <laughs> We're both over 40 now. That's just how know. it goes. I, I know. know. I'm waiting for the, uh, uh, you know, the male to start showing up to tell me that I'm, I'm not you know, under 40 anymore. But um, how do people figure out how much insurance, specifically life insurance, how much insurance they need? Yeah, that's a really great question, which, of course, uh, every question ends up with it depends. Right. But generally speaking, what I would like to consider is redirecting that question. Not really how much life insurance do they need, but generally what kind of capital do they need, right? And so there's different ways to go about calculating what one's need is, but it's my belief that people don't necessarily need life insurance. What they really need generally is an income stream, that can be derived from a pile of cash or a principal amount. So often, we're solving for what amounts to the present value of the future income stream that might be needed. Does that so make sense? So what you're saying is if, if we need to, within a uh, client's life, we need to replace income from the um, one of the, one of the um, income wage earners uh, not being in the picture anymore, how much income do we need to replace and for how long? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so what we find is that generally most working family needs for working families need to replace virtually all of their income. And so by understanding, as you indicated, how much we need and how long, then we can do a calculation to determine how much cash needs to show up to be able to produce that uh, income stream over that period of time. Now, it doesn't always have to be that way. It could just be a debt elimination scenario where people want to make sure that they can pay off their mortgages or maybe pre-fund college. And so the real answer is that it's dependent on a case-by-case basis, and it really determines what's important to the client and what they're trying to accomplish. And then we sort of work backwards. Yeah, when we talk about, I think, devastating situations to a family, I mean, I think there's probably nothing more devastating than losing a family member. And so... 
Um, you know, if you, as you've kind of alluded to, uh, replacing all of that and making it be a situation where, you know, at least financially, if you're able to be able to pay the bills and extinguish some debt and be able to live on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, there's, there's really only one product that does that, and that is life insurance. Because uh, if you don't have a pile of money sitting on the sidelines to be able to replace all that, um, you know, where is it going to come from? And if the primary wage earner is gone, that's, that's incredibly painful for the household. No, there's no doubt about it. What I talk to clients about is that, God forbid something happens, effectively every creditor is going to show up with their handout still needing to be paid next month. And there's really only one check that's going to show up, and that's going to be the life insurance check. And a lot of times people want to fast forward into, you know, what will a half a million cost me versus 750 And I think that's the wrong way to go about it because the most important thing is to get that number right because you're only going to get that one check. And so it's really important in the work that I do to make sure that that one check is the right amount. And I think one of the things, too, that people miss is that there's an inherent value to everybody in the household. So oftentimes I think there's too much of a focus on the primary wage earner when the secondary wage earner or somebody that's earning no wages and might be helping out at home, Mm -hmm. they have incredible value to the household as well. And if they're not covered and they pass away, it can be a huge burden because those expenses oftentimes go up because of childcare and, and other expenses. There's no doubt about that. The way that I describe that is if a death or disability occurs in someone's family, it's definitely the worst of times. You know, it's an emotional catastrophe. And what we want to do is make sure we don't have a mathematical catastrophe at exactly the same time. And when you look at term insurance in particular, uh, especially for reasonably young and healthy individuals, you know, a 40-year-old could buy a million dollars of term insurance for less than $50 a month. And so any of your clients or anyone listening that hasn't considered looking at protecting their family because they think it might be too expensive, I would say you might be surprised that, that that's not the case. Can you go through real quick, too, about kind of the qualification process mm-hmm. of, of the life insurance and, uh, you know, how that, how that has certain levels and preferred and standard and all those different categories? Sure. Yeah, most people tend to believe that life insurance is strictly a pass or fail scenario. And as you alluded to, that's really not the case. It's a pass and slot. And so generally, there's between 10 and 15 different underwriting classes uh, with any particular insurance company. And so through the underwriting process where they're taking a paramedical exam, being able to look at at your insides, even taking a look at your medical records, et cetera, determines where you might be slotted. And so what we do find is that health risk is can be very big if if we don't pay attention today, as we get older, our, our health generally doesn't get better. It might get worse, and it may preclude us from being able to obtain any coverage or do so in, a, in an affordable fashion. Yeah, and I think really what the, um, the, the, the main point of what you said, you know, a lot of great things that you said, but I think the main point was that at least that I took out of it is um, that check has to be for the right amount, right? Correct. And so I think the idea of rephrasing that question of how much do I need um, and rephrasing it to what do I want it to do for me Correct. in this event, um, that helps us to understand how big that check needs to be. Um, because just going off of a factor of income, I know that's a rule of thumb sometimes sure. that we hear of 10 times salary or 20 times, you know, annual salary. It just seems, um, 
pretty kind of boilerplate way of doing it. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of thought that goes behind it if we're just kind of going off of a really vague rule of thumb like that. Correct. I, cu- I couldn't agree more, which is actually why I work through wealth advisors who are engaged in a comprehensive financial planning basis where they're outlining the needs and the goals of their clients and, and actively managing them to get to those goals. And when we're in that kind of structure, all we have to ask is, how do the goals change if one of us doesn't make it? What is required? And then that way we have the appropriate context for that insurance. You know, as you guys indicated, when we opened up this segment, it isn't everyone's favorite topic. And it's not even my favorite topic. But it is very crucial. And if we have the right context, which is the goals that we're trying to meet through the financial plan, then we can effectively make sure our clients' goals are met, whether they live a long time, whether they die early, or whether they become disabled. How do you deal with somebody that that thinks that... You know, thinks that A, they're never going to die, or B, they just kind of brush it off and say, well, you know, I'm buying 20-year term insurance, but I'm not going to die over the next 20 years. The Mm -hmm. statistics all tell me that I don't really need it. I agree. I say the likelihood of you dying in the next 20 years is so small, I can't even tell you how small that is. But the consequences to your family would be so large, I can't even quantify that. And so that's really what we're dealing with is not so much the risk, but the consequences that occur in the event that that happens. And if the gentleman in question is a 40-year-old who's got two kids at home, for less than the cost of his Starbucks on a monthly basis, he could make sure that his family's protected. Uh, I think that's really the the crucial part to bring to the conversation. Yeah, it's an interesting um, way of kind of phrasing it because uh, most people would never even think of driving a car without auto insurance or sleeping a night in their house without homeowner's insurance. But yet, day over day over day over day, we're running around, in some cases, without any life insurance. And so that, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. Or a very minimal amount of coverage. Or a very minimal amount of coverage. Or they don't understand how much coverage they have, even. you know. And that's, that's a good lead way into our second question we get a lot, which is, how do we handle insurance that we get through our employer, Rod? What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on employer-provided mm-hmm. coverage? Well, first of all, I generally like it. Usually, when you have an opportunity to get coverage through your employer, it's usually very cheap and or could be free. But what I find more often than not is there may be a one or two times income. And so someone making 70000 might be able to buy 140000 for example. And through our uh, discussion, we might find that that person needs closer to a million or maybe, maybe more. And so we're really looking to supplement those in many cases. Uh, I would caution against having all of your insurance through your employer. It's often not portable, meaning you can't take it with you when you leave. And even though it's generally cheaper, as you get older, usually those costs go up every single year or every five years. And so what we like to do is we like to have a review and take a look at what that coverage will be and what those increases will be and compare that to a policy in the open marketplace. Generally speaking, the older you are, uh, the more expensive it's going to be inside uh, those those group plans. And they are a different animal, as you know, because they're not necessarily underwritten either. So sometimes if you're really, really healthy or really, really sick, makes a big difference on whether you ought to have coverage through your employer or not. Yeah, I know that employers also provide diff- a myriad of different insurance um, coverages and a lot of times in a, in a benefits package. And so the, I think the message you're sending is let's at a minimum, let's understand what we have through our benefits package, what it costs, yep. what it covers, and um, 
you know, whether or not we have the option to potentially buy more mm-hmm. uh, or whether that's capped at a certain point. Yeah, that's exactly right. What I would say is oftentimes I get a call from an advisor that says, hey, I've got a client and here's their insurance coverage. Is this good? Can we do better? And I say, I don't know. First thing we should do is set this coverage completely aside and ignore it. And let's hone in on what you're trying to accomplish, what you understand about what you have, and try again to determine what's necessarily needed. Then we go back and review what they have in place. More times than not, what they have in place is, is fine. It just may be inadequate. And so we're generally building around their existing structure. Although in some cases, the math will tell us that uh, we could refinance, so to speak, their entire package as well. Uh, the key point that I'm relaying is that it really is dependent on a person-by-person basis. And if we're driving through the financial planning process, in my opinion, that's absolutely the best context to be created for for putting these plans together. So, Clint, we've seen recently um, kind of a big uptick in the number of permanent life insurance policies that we've seen come across from from prospective clients. Let's just shift the conversation a little bit to permanent life insurance and maybe try to understand the difference and mm-hmm. where it's appropriate, where it's not appropriate, and um, for who does it potentially make sense? For whom? I probably should say for whom. whom That's exactly it right. Well, it's sense. kind of in our industry, like in our industry and in the in the investment side, there's this active versus passive debate, and and I think we have a, a similar thing. Uh, in the insurance industry, this you know permanent versus term life insurance debate that's been raging on for like twenty years, and I don't know if it's productive to even you know take one side or the other. I think the truth is always somewhere in in between. So um, it, it, I'm really intrigued to hear Rod's answer as far as you know his thoughts on permanent versus term, and and uh, you know from a quote unquote insurance guy. Pick a side, Rod. Pick a side. side <laughs> yeah, I know it's a tough one. I uh, think he's going to say it depends. I think he's going to say it depends as well. Right, he likes right. it. it probably does depend. <laughs> I think it definitely depends. Uh, I do have some strong feelings. I mean, first of all, I believe that permanent insurance as a tool is oversold and overused. So I do see a lot of permanent insurance that I don't believe would be most appropriate for a client generally because they haven't maxed out their qualified plans or maybe they have access to a Roth IRA and they're not contributing uh, to Roth IRAs. You know, there's there's this idea of are you getting your insurance from an insurance agent or a a wealth advisor, a financial planner? I think there really is something to that. Um, Now, me saying that, I am a big fan of permanent life insurance in the right spot. And generally that right spot is going to be those with high incomes or high net worths. And the reality is, is that when we get clients that are in the top tax brackets, their biggest cost tends to be taxation. And one of the interesting parts about life insurance overall is it enjoys very favorable tax treatment. And so to the extent that clients have maxed out their tax-deductible vehicles, I do believe that permanent insurance can be very appropriate But even in that, it has to be structured right. I know we don't have time, and this isn't the right format for that, but it isn't just put permanent insurance in place or not. It's a matter of how we're structuring this, what kind of contracts we're using. There's a lot of moving parts uh, internally, and we really need to be as efficient as possible mathematically. And that's really the key. So I guess what I want you to hear about it is permanent insurance can be right for the right people, but we want to mute the internal costs as much as possible so that we can enhance the cash value growth that occurs. And I guess the problem with that is that, you know, when you compensate 
insurance agents, that's not necessarily in the insurance agent's best interest. Because uh, if you're overfunding policies and things like that, lo, lo and behold, if you're funding it correctly, you actually get paid some of the least amounts um, when you have the policies constructed. So, um, you know, there's so many conflicts of interest in this situation. And I think that's the important part. And the thing to take away from this is that, um, you know, I don't think permanent life insurance is bad. In fact, you know, if I was in like the highest tax bracket and had a pile of money, I, I would buy some permanent life insurance. Um, I do believe though that it's sold so much more than it's actually needed. And, you know, I think that there's so few quote unquote good guys in that sort of industry, in that realm of that industry. Um, it's really nice to have somebody like Rod that I think looks at it in such a balanced way. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we do have the availability for our clients to meet with Rod and, you know, I just, it's not really a commercial for Rod, but it's just saying, hey, you know, you've got to find a trusted insurance advisor, and hopefully you can find one through your wealth manager um, that doesn't receive any direct compensation from that insurance agent and can really say, hey, this insurance agent can quote out a bunch of different companies. And so they're kind of an, an independent insurance agent from that perspective. I think that choice is really important. And I also think that the financial planner should work with the insurance agent to find the best cost, but also work on behalf of the client to assure that the insurance agent is building it correctly and pricing it correctly for the client, because there's so much choice and so much disparity in premium, even in term policies. Um, you know, if you can't quote out 10 different companies or more, um, there's a little bit of a problem there because uh, they might be incented to choose one over the other. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting how... Um you know, the, the more that Clint and I and, and Rod even, I'll speak for, for everybody in the room here, works in the industry, the more we realize that um, the, the uh, percentage complexity of a product uh, as, it, as it increases, as a as product becomes more complex and harder to explain, the client's hesitancy and resistance to that product should probably evolve just about the same. Um, you know, if we're talking about complex products, we should, we should be very skeptical of those because in a lot of cases... Uh, that complexity is not benefiting the client in the end. And you need someone with experience and that's actually looked at those products over and over again to determine what actually a good structure is. I mean, if you walk into an office and ask for something complex, just because it's complex isn't bad, but it, you know, there are so many nuances to these policies that then even, you know, even Nate and I being the industry, as long as we have, we haven't seen it nearly as many as you have, Rod. And, you know, if somebody is just new in the business and selling quote unquote insurance, I mean, buyer beware there. Yeah, if their years of experience probably is less than the number of pages in the illustration they're showing you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Those probably. illustrations are like 100 pages. <laughs> that though. should tell you something. <laughs> yes. There's probably some truth to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Rod, is there anything else that, that we didn't cover in those three questions? Obviously, there's, there's a ton that we didn't cover, but, I mean, is there any other, um, you know, uh, popular questions that you get that, uh, that, that you hear from people that you think the listeners might benefit from? If not, it's fine. Is, yeah. is, you know, is there anything else that you think? Well, I think um, just to throw out a couple other ways where I think permanent insurance does make sense would mm -hmm. be anybody who specifically wants to leave a legacy of some kind sure. in the form of an inheritance, either to their children or maybe to their charities. Right. Certainly uh, for estate planning purposes, maybe if we have a special needs child, uh, for example, 
to make sure that the insurance could be the funding vehicle to be able to do that. Now we should be working with an estate attorney in some way, shape, or form, yes? A hundred percent. They need to really work in collaboration. Okay. Even though I'm an insurance specialist, nearly all of my work is done collaboratively with wealth advisors, estate planning attorneys, and accountants hmm. for exactly these reasons. It's very helpful when we get into cases like that that we really understand that the insurance is often just a funding vehicle. And it's a funding vehicle because maybe we don't have the million dollars in cash that we need yet. And by the way, we need it upon death. And so what's really amazing about life insurance is that the exact problem that occurs, which is we die, the solution occurs basically the next day where our asset springs in value. And so that can be very advantageous for the families and for, for the completion of our financial plans. Uh, I've also... Uh, been learning from a few advisors just this last year that it can be very valuable from a wealth advisor's perspective to have a, some permanent insurance in place with clients who want to leave a legacy. Gives them a little more freedom inside how they're allocating their money and also can give clients permission to spend some of their money. I've been in thousands of client meetings, and the best clients are the ones that are sitting on very nice cash with nice pensions. And every time they come in, the advisors are saying, will you please spend some of your money? and they're afraid to do so. And so a lot of it is really the context, which again is why I work through wealth advisors. I happen to believe that there's not a person alive that wants life insurance, but they do want what it can do for them if they have the right context and if it's coordinated inside their financial plan. And it can also create tax diversification and even asset allocation and diversification as well. So I guess the key message I'd like to get out is don't just ignore the life insurance conversation. If you want to understand what that means for you and your family, you should reach out to these guys and, and have a conversation in context. Yeah, I think that that's the key. And, and this um, um, will not be the last time that we hear from Rod on these podcasts. I think it's... Uh, yeah, you might have a more than guest seat in this place. Is it going to take over Kevin's role? Is that what's <laughs> oh, going to happen? Is sorry, Kevin. Kevin. Get booted yeah, we didn't here? have Kevin in here. <laughs> only three mics. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> So thanks a lot, Rod, for that information. That was that was uh, you know hugely helpful. And and um, if as listeners you have additional insurance questions and topics that you want to cover, uh, uh, personally, Clinton, I can go through those with you. Again, we can make Rod available on a personal level. But if there's topics that you want to have discussed in this format, don't hesitate to reach out to us, and we'll uh, do future podcasts on those as well. So uh, as always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC are affiliated companies. 
Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condom Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.